On episode 14, we're going to discuss luck versus variance, bannings in the format that can't hurt us because it's not real, and maybe even a little bit about how to address an exceptionally ugly banning. I'm Kyle, joined by my partner in crime, Anthony. Say hello, Anthony. Wah! Okay, let's talk some trash. So tonight we're going to basically talk about there's no such thing as luck and talk about variants in the game of Magic the Gathering that we love to play so much. Hell yeah, brother. Because, <laughs> Kyle, there's no such thing as luck. No. It's not real. It's all it's all part of Elish Norn's plan. <laughs> the big mommy melters will show us the way. <laughs> oh my god, did you say big mommy melters? Yeah. It's a callback. <laughs> To when we uh, did Phyrexia will be one spoilers. There we go. It's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah. Yes. So I want you to imagine, Kyle, mm-hmm. you're at an event and you are in the stage of the event where losses start knocking people out. People start planning what we're getting for dinner and somebody's describing their loss to you. And they say, and then they had this, and then they had that, and they pulled this off the top, they drew their one-outer, and there was nothing I could do. What I want to say is that this theoretical person is probably just wrong. Yeah, you know, I, like, I've like i been in that chair too, or I've used that phrase, like, there's nothing I could have done, but... uh. Oh, me too, yeah. Yeah, most of the time I was I was wrong because there's always there, you, you look back there's something you could have done you know that variance is part of the game and we use the word luck to describe something like similar to it within the game of magic sometimes it's not luck sometimes it's just a little micro decisions little misplay or just mm-hmm. you know something like the order of the cards were just the way they were and that's just how it how it is like these things happen it's not so much like luck or you had no say in the matter yeah. it's just it's the shit happens part, you know, it's that bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think like has ended up being my standard MO. I say, well, let's define some terms here. Let's let's all <laughs> approach this from common ground. We'll arm ourselves with a declarative language, descriptive language, you know, and it might not be the most thrilling way to start off a segment, but at least you and me and anyone listening knows what we mean when we say luck, knows what we mean when we say variance, right? Mm-hmm. Variance is a part of magic, and variance exists whenever there is something that is randomized in any way in a game. Magic's variance occurs from randomizing your deck. Mm-hmm. If you're playing D&D, your variance is your dice roll, right? You don't always, just because you're, you know, and I'm going to expose my limited D&D knowledge, just because you're attacking something and you're really strong and they have an armor class of like five and you should Mm -hmm. hit, there's chances that there's still a chance that you can fail. That's where variance comes in. And in magic, variance is there. And I'm going to tell you this right now. It's there on purpose. There's a reason that the game has variance. Because the designers wanted the worst player to win sometimes. Yep. It was designed so that the best player wasn't always going to win. The best deck wasn't always going to win. The variance in this game allows for upset victories. You know, Mm -hmm. 
I want you to think about games that have variants in them. Things like poker, mm-hmm. D&D, magic, not chess. Chess is what we call a zero variance game, right? Mm-hmm. There is no variance. There is no hidden information. Variance is basically anywhere that a random effect creeps in. So one of the good examples that has been used in explaining variance in magic in the past is a concept called rando chess. Rando chess. Yeah, you are playing chess, but you want to introduce variance into it. So you introduce a dice roll and that die determines which piece you're allowed to move that turn. Now, I mean, this game would be terrible, right? (laughs) Uh, But it does... In my mind, that example really helps explain how where variance is. Now, how does that differ from luck? Luck is when you anthropomorphize variance. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you're you're giving variance agency. You're saying a the the variance in this game is scheming it's collaborating it's it's it's, it's out it's to get me, me. yeah <laughs> you're saying when you're talking when what luck basically means this outside force that is controlling random elements of things to be either in your favor if you're quote lucky or against you if you're unlucky and i think that we're all trying to play Magic the Gathering better. And a good way to do that is to separate fiction from reality mm-hmm. and look at things through a clear and sober, I get it coming from me, lens <laughs> when you're describing things. And I don't think the luck talk helps anybody, right? No, it, it, it really doesn't because, you know, it, it, it's, I feel like it's used as, is more as an excuse than like, you know, talking about like, oh my God, I got lucky. My opponent got lucky. It's just a story where it's just like, no, it's, it's just the, the luck, the variance is out to get me. That's what it really turns into. And if we're going to be honest, you talked about it as a story and I'm just like, haha, Campbell's monomyth. No. Um, <laughs> from a story perspective, luck makes for a terrible plot element. It's not good, right? Mm-hmm. The idea, and I want you to think about this, a story in which outside random forces were controlled by a sentient power that allowed something to resolve in a way that it would would not have without that intervention. What you're describing is deus ex machina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's we've for centuries we've unanimously agreed as a human race, that that's a bad thing to have in your story. Mm-hmm. So even your bad beat stories suck when you complain about luck. It's just, it's, it's the worst like thing for storytelling where it's just, it's just like, Oh, and miraculously the main characters got lucky and see they're your favorite character. They're not dead. It's fine. It's just, it's, it's boring. It's lazy. Just, and it's, it's, I think that's the best way to describe like just too many of those bad beats. Lucky, like, Oh, my opponent got lucky that it's just like, just stop. It's 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 getting mm-hmm. lazy and kind of annoying. Yeah, and that's the thing is that when you are giving agency to something else, mm-hmm. you are taking agency away from yourself. Mm-hmm. And then when you're describing something in a way that you're just using luck, you're saying, "Hey, it's luck's fault, not my fault." Mm-hmm. There are things that you can do to mitigate variance, and that's really what this this game is all about. Mm-hmm. 
is finding a way to, you don't ever get to eliminate it, but you do get to mitigate it and play accurately, play consistently. And if you do that, you put yourself in a really good position to benefit. Mm -hmm. There's that expression, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I think that's really apropos here because you find that the people that get that lucky top deck, a lot of the times they worked really hard to get to that spot, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason that they got that lucky top deck is because they played tight enough to get that extra draw step and increase their odds. Mm -hmm. Or they blocked in such a way so that they were they were dead if they drew nothing but i've got an artifact creature and a non-artifact creature that i can block and trade with here i'm going to trade with the artifact creature because i know go for the throat is in my deck Mm -hmm. when you are making plays like that you are setting yourself up so that if the top card of your deck is a go for the throat that can save you Mm -hmm. and i think it's putting yourself in the best position because Mm -hmm. we we talk about as magic players like sometimes you get in that top deck war where you're you and your opponent are hellbent and you know you're just at mercy to the top of your deck but like you said it's a perfect example of just you know setting up for that where it's just like all right there's going to be a point in this game where i might not have a lot of cards and i have to put myself in a position just if i top deck this if i top deck that it's not just mm-hmm. oh i top deck this and i i, I did so I, I just win i just I, it worked out so well it's more of like you playing your outs making sure that if or when you top deck that correct card or the card that you need in that situation. It's not just like, oh, well, this would have been better if I played, you know, a little tighter, you know, Mm -hmm. turns, you know, the four turns before. Yeah, the, oh, if I knew this was on top of my deck, I would have played differently is not, is usually a sign that you didn't play optimally. The, The phrase, there's nothing you could have done, there's nothing I could have done. Oh my God, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. I hate it so mm-hmm. much. It's almost always wrong. So a good example is playing into top deck wrath effects. This is something I have a lot of experience. I've cast a lot of Supreme Verdict against Yes, you. yes. Anthony has cast a lot of Supreme Verdicts against me. I've played a lot of Merfolk. I've played a ton of Yawgmoth. And this is something... I've won a lot of games because I've thought about this in the matchup. Where it's just like, alright, I could play out all these creatures and possibly combo with Yawgmoth, Stranglerute, Young Wolf, Blood Arts, all that stuff. Or I could do that, and before I deploy Yawgmoth, I get blown out by by a Wrath effect, where it's just like, oh, there's a Prismatic ending, a Wrath, an Undying creature with a, a plus one, plus one counter on it already. Or when I'm playing Merfolk, it's just like, here, I got I got three Lords and a Silver Girl Adept. If, if I'm able to untap, I win. And it's just like, all right, Supreme Verdict. I'm like, I have nothing in hand. I think I lost this game. And this is where it's like, oh, man, they got so lucky. They topped back the wrath. It's like, well, you kind of played into it or you weren't aware that this was a possibility. Now, there's sometimes you have hands and you're just like, all right, I kind of have to go for it with this matchup. If they have a wrath, they have a wrath, but I have to play my game plan. But you still Mm -hmm. have to have that conversation. Yeah. Like imagine a situation where you know your opponent doesn't have a wrath in their hand, right? Mm -hmm. They're hellbent or you have thought seized them at some point in the game. And you're looking, and your opponent's at six life. You've got a three-power creature in play. Mm -hmm. And you say, hmm, I'm going to go ahead and put another creature into play. And then they draw the Wrath, and then they get you. You attack them, you put another creature into play, and then you have nothing. And they have a clean board, and they're at three. They might have top-decked, in quotes, that Wrath. They might have ripped that right off the top. But you put them in a position where that, was not only what they needed to do to survive, but also 
was really good. And if they're at six life when you start this and you have a like a blood tithe harvester, let's say, and you all and you play a graveyard trespasser into it as well. Mm-hmm. Well, they were at six. You attack them down to three. Does adding a second three power creature actually shorten the clock? And when I say shorten the clock, I mean, does it give your opponent fewer draw steps to try and resolve the issue that the the problem you've presented them with? Yeah, and that's a prime example of is you playing the second creature extending your clock? No, like you already attacked. Yeah. You have them at three. If you untap and attack again. Awesome. They're dead. They have to do something about it with a spot removal or not. And that's a great example where she's like, oh, I'll play the Graveheart Trespasser. I get Wrath. Now I have nothing and they have a chance to get back to the game. But mm-hmm. if you just hold on to that Graveheart Trespasser, let's say they have spot removal, you get, they go to a combat, you know, you need to cycle a Shark Typhoon to block so they stay alive or just, you know, any kind of spot oh, yeah. removal. They, they do that like, okay, there are three. Play Graveheart Trespasser. The ward effect on that is something that's very good. It's, mm-hmm. it's three power and it has an ETB trigger that can deal damage. You don't want to you don't want to rush in those situations. Yeah, I, I I think so. I think that like part of it is just like your format knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. If you are looking at a six damage and you have the ability to play a second creature out that doesn't shorten your clock, mm-hmm. the only reason I can justify really doing that is I'm playing around spot removal. But are you actually if your opponent has three wraths in their deck and they have one spot removal in their deck, you have to, and you can only, and playing around each of them requires opposite game actions mm-hmm. from you. You're going to play around the one that's more likely. You're going to play around the three wraths rather than the one spot removal and vice mm-hmm. versa, right? If yeah. you know that they're playing, if you know that they're playing like Grixis in standard and they're playing a pile of spot removals and mm-hmm. like zero to one sweeper, if you count Brotherhood's End, that might be in their main deck. Mm-hmm. You would deploy the second creature, right? Because there's so much more likely that they have a spot removal spell than they don't. But those mm-hmm. are the things you have to be thinking about. Because if you're not thinking about them, you're not thinking about your opponent's deck, uh, your opponent's top decks, your opponent's outs. We're talking when you're behind, you are playing to your outs. You know what your outs are and you are setting yourself up mm-hmm. to be able to benefit from drawing them. When you're ahead and trying to close out the game, you are thinking about that from your opponent's perspective, right? You're thinking about what are my opponent's outs and how do I make them as non-impactful as possible? You've played a lot of Rakdos in Mm -hmm. Pioneer. Your opponent, let's say you know for sure your opponent has no sweepers left, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're at three life Mm -hmm. and graveyards are empty. Mm -hmm. You have the option to either play out a Blood Tithe Harvester or play out a graveyard trespasser, right? You know they don't have any sweepers left. Mm-hmm. You can only play one of them. Which one are you playing here? If if I'm just worried about spot removal and it's like that late in the game, I think the I, I would put out the graveyard trespasser because yeah, uh, that's where I would be. Yeah, yeah, because the the ward the ward cost on that is huge. Because if mm-hmm. we're in a top deck war and I play the 3-3 three, three with Ward discard a card. No matter that what the top deck is, it's not going to do anything. It has to be a blocker in that situation. Yeah, imagine a situation where they have like they have something in one card in hand. You play this graveyard trespasser, and they untap. Mm-hmm. They they're like sick. I ripped this. Go for the throat. I get to survive. And they go for the throat. Your trespasser pay the ward cost. Discard mm-hmm. their other card. Now imagine that same situation if you had just played the harvester. They just get to one for yeah. one you, just and up their a card. top deck yeah. is way better for them mm-hmm. there than it is 
elsewhere. You want to think about those things. Like, what mm -hmm. are my opponent's outs? My opponent needs to draw a, a removal spell here, mm -hmm. or they're dead. Okay, let's say, how do we make that as painful or as bad for them as possible? Ask the question, let's say they have it. Yeah. You know, let's say, like, you know, they, they have the, the perfect top deck, they have the perfect hand, what do I do from here? Yeah, and the only time you really stop doing that is when you identify a card that you can't beat or a combination of cards you can't beat. Mm -hmm. If you say, uh, against Murktide, you're like, if they've got two counter spells, I lose. Okay, pretend they mm -hmm. have one because it, there's no... Yeah. Don't waste any brain bandwidth on what if they have two. You've identified that you can't beat it. Yeah, I, I've I've literally had that, that situation where I'm playing against a Murktide player, I'm playing Yawgmoth, and I'm trying to go off. I have Eldritch Evolution in hand, and I have enough to pay for Spell Pierce. And there's mm -hmm. they have three untapped lands. And I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm like, okay. If it's Counterspell Spell Pierce, those are the last two cards in hand. So be it. I, like, with the what the board is right now, I need to play this Eldritch Evolution to uh, set myself up for the next couple of turns. And I'm like, all right, Eldritch, I see the Spell Pierce. I'm like, hey, pay for the Spell Pierce. Counterspell, I'm like, okay. It's just... You know, I, I went mm -hmm. through those questions. I assumed that if they have this, like, I still have to go for it, and I went through for it. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, you know, that's where format knowledge and having that inner dialogue, not just like, hey, what do I do with my deck in this situation? It's like, what is my opponent going to do when I present these things? Absolutely. So this is, at, 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 like, after these games where you play mm -hmm. this and you think about what are my outs? How do I play around this? How do I play around that? How do I mitigate variants? How do I shrink my opponent's possible outs as small as possible and mm -hmm. try and whittle them down to zero? How do I maximize my chance of drawing something relevant and helpful after that game if you're doing a good job you should not be you should not have the there's nothing i could have done because when you say that as a player you are robbing yourself of the opportunity to get better from discussing that exchange as soon as you say mm -hmm. i had no agency throw the ball away from me you've given up on the ability to kind of parse that out and this is where other players come in and help you benefit i think the mm -hmm. most is when you're dissecting you're doing an autopsy on your game and you can think for longer you are not worried about slow playing you've got the benefit of a bunch of other smart good players around you you can kind of unpack things a little more clearly and see what you could have done but as soon as you say there's nothing i could have done mm -hmm. you are shutting the door on that and yep. you are opting out of that discussion and you're that hurts you as a player you mm -hmm. win so much more from your losses than you do from your wins but you don't learn anything from your losses if you just shut down any discussion about it after the fact yeah and you saying there's nothing i can do about that you know like it's just it's just it was all my opponent it was luck it was variance all that stuff you're basically just shutting yourself off from your friends who are, were not in your seat watching this game you know there, there's a difference between you playing and just you spectating you know your, your brain works a little differently because we've all been in that position where you know you miss lethal you miss this and you're just like oh why didn't i see that your friend is just looking at or like you know a spectator just who's been nice enough to point out these things and you're just saying like oh there's nothing gonna do you're just basically just saying i don't want any criticism i don't want yeah. any help i don't want to grow i don't want to learn because i've been in mm -hmm. situations where i'm just like oh no, this is the reason I did that. And I have like a little dialogue. And then there are other times where it's like, hey, why don't you just do this? That was like the better line. And I think about it, I'm like, oh shit, you're right. Like, yeah, it's a learning experience.
It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you want to learn and grow and get better. And that's the best way you can. Not just like, ah, well, it got me. Yeah. I feel like there's nothing I could have done is shutting that down. You're saying, I don't mm-hmm. want this. Like you said, I don't want your help. I don't want your input. And then you know what? People will oblige and they won't give it to you. And that's not to say that if somebody says, oh, I think this might, I think this was a better line for you. That's not to say you don't push back, right? Yeah. Like if, if somebody's just like, hey, why not just cast this spell and win the game? I might say like, uh, I had them on spell pierce. Like I assume mm-hmm. my opponent had spell pierce in this situation, which is why I didn't do like justify your actions. But, mm-hmm. and here's the big thing. The big, but this is my big alternative to dropping. There's nothing I could have done from your vocabulary, from everyone's vocabulary. Drop it. Just say it. It's unusable. Instead, say the words. I made the best available play with the information I had at the time. I'm not saying just replace them one for one. Right. But every time you want to say, there's nothing I could have done. Instead, say I made the best mm-hmm. available play with the information I had at the time because that changes. We talked about the Sapir Warp hypothesis, right? And how mm-hmm. what you say can affect how you think about something. So your language there changes and it's going to change how you attack that, right? Because all of a sudden, when you say there's nothing I could have done, that means there's nothing to be said. Mm-hmm. That's how it can be interpreted. I made the best available play with the information I had at the time. Well, that is a falsifiable statement. Somebody else can can say that. They can say, uh, you can say, I made the best available play with the information I had at the time. They played like they had counterspell. They kept holding up double blue. I believed that was there. And somebody that was watching, like I say that, you say to me, mm, Anthony, I don't think so. I don't think you made the best available play because you were playing around counterspell and they had a Gigantha revealed. Mm-hmm. So yep. you had... <laughs> What you're doing there is you as this person talking to me are able to challenge my premise of that I made the best play with the information I had at the time by saying, hey, what you thought the information you had access to was not exactly accurate. Mm-hmm. Now, you can say this and you can still be full of shit and use it as an excuse <laughs> if you want. But here's the big thing. If you say this, you goddamn better be able to tell me. If you say this to me, you goddamn better be able to tell me <laughs> what information you had that led to your decision because if you say this and you can't name any of the you can't describe the board state you can't name what you were playing around you mm-hmm. can't say what what colors of mana they had up what they were representing having that, that i don't know you're just you're, you're just being full of shit yeah i mean it's, it's just the it's just the oh no like uh it was the best play i could have made at the time it's like well this was the time why was this the best play it's like i don't really remember it's just like Okay. Well, then you don't actually believe that that was yeah. the best play you could make with the information at the time because you don't think you're not thinking about what information you had at the time. <laughs> you're just playing and thinking that it'll just come easily. Like just good things will happen if you just play. It's like no, you, you got to think through your turns. You got to try a little bit, and you have to be aware of what's happening within the game state. Like honestly, I the only situation I think you can be like, there's nothing I could have done is we've all been in the burn matchup. You're at three. It's like, if it's not now, it'll be eventually. I, I, it's, I don't know if it's a one turn clock or a five turn clock. I'm, yeah. I'm at mercy to whatever my opponent draws and if they read their cards and know what they do. I think it's important to realize that as much as I hate it, there's nothing I could have done can be true sometimes it like can be my, my first thing when you said that example i was like well, what about the turn before you were at three what about the turn before that 
Mm-hmm. What about the turn before that? Did you fetch shock to kill one of their two power attackers? Did you play a tap land and then take three damage from a swift spear? Mm-hmm. If you had just shocked that in, you could have killed the swift spear and only taken two damage from that exchange. Those are the questions I have. But in the situation where there's nothing I could have done is accurate, I made the best available play with the information I had at the time still work. But Mm -hmm. I think that as players kind of develop and grow through the game, they start off wildly overestimating the impact of variance. Yes. They think that the variance handles so much, impacts so much of what's going on in the game. And it determines the outcome of the game so much of the time. And then as you grow in the game, you develop, you end up underestimating <laughs> the impact of variance. Yep. And you start saying, man, and you you dissect and you dissect. And if, if you've gone like five turns back and you have other people looking at it with you and you're accurately recreating a board state, you're going through and every other line, you the consensus is that any other line you could have taken would have been worse. You can let that go. You can mm-hmm. say, okay, I feel like I genuinely did make the best decision I could have made. And, you know, you making the best available decision is, you know, I, I, this, I think this is a prime example. You see a lot of players, especially in modern, when they crack their first fetch turn one and they think about it, they're not thinking about, oh, hey, do I need, like, what dual land do I get? Do I get a basic? They're like, all right, the burn matchup I can think is a, a very good example. It's like, what does my hand look like? I don't want to fetch shock, but depending on what does my hand look like? If I fetch shock here, am I able to conduct my game plan faster? Or do I get a basic here? Or do I just, you know, wait to crack my fetch later? It's just, those are the things you you become a better player when you're having those thoughts turn one. Internal monologue, Internal monologue. Internal dialogue, perhaps. All, 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 all that stuff. Because you're thinking about, you're not thinking about just the here and now. You're thinking about, all right, how will this action affect the game Turn five, six, further down the line, because, you know, that's what we're talking about with like luck and variance and all that stuff is where it's just like, oh, there's nothing I could have done. But in a lot of situations, it's like, well, you fetch shock turn one, you're at 17, you're facing burn. You know, if you didn't, you'd still be in this game and have a chance to win. It's not just the, the like the, the turn you did now or the one before or, or like the, the turn you're going to be doing in the future. It, it can go back all the way to the beginning of the game and you have to be aware of that and just be like, yes, variance is a part of the game, but it doesn't dictate how the game plays out. It's just a part of it. And sometimes you use it to your favor and sometimes it's not really in your favor, but it's not going to ruin the game. It's not going to only the variance isn't the only reason you lose games. Variance loses people games. Absolutely. People Mm -hmm. lose games on account of variance. I think people lose a lot fewer games on account of variance or variance is a smaller percentage of the reason they lost than Mm -hmm. a lot of people think it is. Yeah. And I think that, and just bringing it full circle, if you say luck instead of variance, what you are doing is you are ascribing an intent to variance that I don't think is helpful. I believe you are existing in kind of a fantasy space Mm -hmm. where you're not you're not able to make good decisions if a crane can come from behind the stage and pick you up and save you. I just need to get lucky. Yeah. We're going back, (laughs) we're going back to deus ex, right? Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no, there's no magical thing that's going to come and save you. You You're putting yourself in a good position or you are not right. Mm -hmm. 
in mono green, a lot of the times when your opponent is success in Pioneer, when your opponent is profitably interacting with you, all you're doing is trying to set yourself up for the, the top card of your deck being what you need it to be, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be planning out your turn. Okay, what do I do? What do I block with? What do I what do I what do I have leave the battlefield? Am I making this troll or am I keeping this this troll token or am I keeping this old growth troll enchanting this forest? How much mana can I make? How much devotion do I have? How much do I need if the top card is Karn? Mm -hmm. If the top card is Teferi? If the top card is Nykthos? If the top card is Storm the Festival? You know, mm -hmm. you have to be thinking about those things because if you're not, you will find yourself getting far fewer great top decks, right? Yep. Because you might, like a, 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 a novice player in that deck, might say, man, if I had known the top card of my deck was a Storm the Festival, I would have played this very differently. Well, what was different about mm -hmm. how you would play if you knew it was a Storm the Festival? Were the game actions you took so um, exclusive that you couldn't do you couldn't do what you needed to do and set yourself up for Storm the Festival? Mm -hmm. Is it possible to take a game action that makes Karn and Storm the Festival an out? Is it possible for you to take game actions that make Karn or Nykthos or Storm the Festival an out? Because mm -hmm. think about it this way. If you play in such a way that Storm the Festival is your only out, you have to hit a Storm or you're dead. You and you ha uh, there are four in your deck. You've got a four outer, right? Yeah. But if you can play your turn in a way that sets you up so, oh, Karn does it too. Mm -hmm. There's four Karns and four Storms left in your deck. Yeah. You've doubled your chances. That is your percentage chance of being able to survive doubles based on game decisions you have made. So those are things that I think newer players will ascribe to variance. Mm -hmm. And like we said, as you go, you kind of overcorrect and nothing. There's no variance. Mm -hmm. And then eventually <laughs> people settle out and um, their understandings of it kind of balance out pretty close to reality. Yeah, I think you have to find that middle ground of mm -hmm. just not like it's all luck and, you know, the one side where it's all luck and one side where it's just like, oh, it's not variance, I just have to play better. And I think that with luck and variance, where when people think of it as luck, they kind of take the math out of it. I think Don't take the math out. No. Don't take the math out. Uh, it's weird me saying this, the uh, the the artist and you, the, yeah, the, the I, math I'm person. Yeah, I'm all about it. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, oh my God, have I... Have I have I successfully convinced Kyle? Probably not. But for right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just the one we talked about in the beginning of the episode where it's just when you like in D&D &D, when you roll a, a, a D20 or when you do the math like in win percentages when you play like a, um, an REL like magic tournament. It's just like, oh, I have like a 90 percent win rate win rate against this deck. 90 percent is not 100. Mm -hmm. There are 10 percent of the times where you're not. You know, like I've I've experienced that uh, the, that RCQ that Anthony won. I was playing, it was it was a rough day for me for like mental standpoint for like me playing. I was having a rough go of it, and you know it was one of those days where it's round four, I think, and it was just that like, hey, I have a very high percentage of drawing an out to win this game. I'm empty-handed. My opponent's at two. I have so many outs right now. Oh, and that I, was a heartbreaker. I was watching that game. I drew seven lands in a row. Yeah, you had, uh, you had, <laughs> and not one of them was a uh, was a man land either. <laughs> yeah, you were on. 
oh, so frustrating because you were on like an eight outer and you had seven looks at the eight outer. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, come on, please, anything. I was just I was like, like, anything. Your opponent was, your opponent was playing a, a like a. Wasn't really. It wasn't a meme uh, deck, but it was. Brew. It was a let's brew. Say, it was definitely say, a brew. Yeah. I think that's a tactful way of mm -hmm. saying it because there was right? a lot of powerful cards in that, but it's not something you would see. It it was it was cool. It was fun. You know. Yeah, I mean, it was a bunch of cards you loved. Oh, a bunch of cards I a hundred percent love. Yeah. That was like the Christmas that I got beat. Uh, that I got beat with my Sega Genesis that I got. Like, <laughs> like, like watching Kyle get smacked down by thought not seers was just heartbreaking to watch yes i hated it it was awful but you know it was one of those things instead of going like oh there's nothing i could have done it's like oh it was bad luck now it's just like look it's statistically possible yeah that something like this could happen it sucks but it could happen <laughs> in those situations especially in red black and pioneer that deck has oh, yeah. a lot of variance mitigation in it you mm -hmm. want to think was there ever a point where I had a fable and I didn't discard two cards to it. And you got to think back to those. You're like, was there ever a time I chose none or one on a fable chapter, fable, the mirror breaker chapter two. So it's funny in that, in that actual game, I did discard two lands to fable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I drew way too many where I, re I remember distinctly in that game where I'm just like, I think I have 80% of the lands either in my graveyard or on the battlefield. Like <laughs> it's one of those things that when when a situation like that happens, don't think about this turn, don't think about the turn, but just this turn or the turn before. Go back as far as you need to go yeah. and think, did I did I miss an opportunity to get a card deeper? Did mm -hmm. I and like let's say yes. Let's say you look back and you say, Oh, I chose no on this fable chapter two and discarded nothing. That's when you ask yourself the magical question, right? Was that the correct play with the information I had available at the time? And that's where you get to really start dissecting into these things. Mm -hmm. And some percentage of the time, your answer is going to be, yeah, that was the right play. Or I discarded too. That was definitely the right play with the information available at the time. And your conclusion might just be, there's nothing you could have done. Now yeah. I watched a lot of that game and I, I feel like you made the right choice at each and every stage of the game. You didn't waste any blood tokens, discarding non-land cards. You didn't pass on any fable loots or any of that. I felt like you just kind of put mm -hmm. yourself in that spot. But even then being a be after that game, you specifically were like, all right, looking back turn by turn, going back and thinking where did i give up percentage points and that's just such a good attitude to have right because it's mm -hmm. so easy to get tilted on stuff like that oh yeah and it, it's even when you like go back and realize you played very very tightly mm -hmm. you know and your friends can can help you like no i'm like maybe change here but overall i think you played played great you still want to keep doing that even when you know a deck in and out with you well, like it, like all the success you've had with with mono green uh, and Pioneer, there's there's not a chance Anthony's not going through every like turn he's played with that deck. He's had a ton of success with it, but he's always going to be like, oh, was this the right you oh, know yeah. choice off of off of Storm? Was this the you know right card I got out of the Karn Wishboard? Mm -hmm. Should I should I have attacked with these creatures? Should I have let them let them back? Should I have played this land, that land, all all those things? You know, it doesn't matter whether it's really, really tight play or like, oh, I had a really rough day. You always want to just go back, check the tape and really talk with your friends 
and you know your colleagues basically like your teammates in a sense mm -hmm. to to become a better yeah. player and checking the tape is a great term because mm -hmm. there are people that are going to have an easier time with that than others like at the yes. end of the day, mm -hmm. like someone with a brain that works like mine is going to be able to remember and recre reconstruct a board state pretty easily. And then some people that like are myself, that are, that are still a... very good at magic. This yeah. is not a magic skill. This is an unrelated. No, magic. this is a people skill. This is a yeah. different skill that sometimes can tie into magic, right? Without that might have a harder time might mm -hmm. have a harder time reconstructing a board. And that's where having somebody else on helps. Something mm -hmm. I love to do is if I see my friend doing something and I'm just like, what the fuck are they thinking? Yep, I will take out that phone. I will snap a picture of the board state. Mm -hmm. That way I can just show it to them after the match and be like, what the fuck was this? Yes. Why did you do this? Yes. It's, it's very helpful because Anthony is just, you know, the the graphs are going on perfectly in his head he can see like here's a picture i remember it vividly and i'm over here like oh, did i turn the stove off like what's, what's my what's my friend ryan doing who i haven't seen in five years like oh look at that they uh they serve uh you know rick ross chips isn't that cool Listen. it's like kyle you need to be focusing on what's happening right now like <laughs> shout out to these fucking rick ross chips oh my god they were so good oh man anthony was loving oh, them it was like, it was like <laughs> lemon pepper hot sauce chips mm -hmm. that was that tasted like spicy cookies oh it was God, insane so good I was, doing the, <laughs> I was on i was on angel reese licking my fingers i thought it was like i was worried i was licking my fingers so much i was worried people were gonna think i was just like dabbing on them at this event because i'd like win and i'd eat some <clears throat> chips and i just bam <laughs> yeah don't dab on people it's mean i guess that's what i yeah i, I guess I don't know. I, I, I do it uh, with all like the Zoomers that we play tournaments with just because they're like, oh, my God, Kyle dabbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like watching a Model T on the highway. It's just like this is what this is supposed to do. What are you doing here? Don't you need to cover yourself in graveyard dirt before the sun comes up? <laughs> oh, man, Kyle, have you ever seen like a super ugly baby? Yeah, and you can't say anything. <laughs> oh, see, um, because so Anthony says something. Well, it, depends. it depends, right? It depends. Because, like, I don't know the degree to which you like like somebody and care about them. The thing, because like we've mm -hmm. discussed, my first instinct is I just like I I, I like being mean. Um, I like it. It makes me feel good. I'm happy about it. But I try and uh, kind of direct that towards generally people who deserve it. That's how I I, I like uh, I don't know like I, I call it the Dexter ideology oh my god <laughs> it's just but instead of like with a stab it's with bullying <laughs> and i've also never fucked my sister so there's that yeah yeah he did that's, that that's, that was that's, a rough season yeah. though, wasn't it shit yeah that that show was weird was and show. that was gross <laughs> uh oh yeah like i don't know I said some really good ones that I'm pretty proud of when you see an ugly baby. Like, oh my god, that child looks like she should be screaming at an old lady in an Apex Twin video. Oh my god. I think the worst part is that I know exactly what that baby looks like now. <laughs> Fucking nightmare fuel. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the fox in the Nine Inch Nails video that's getting eaten by ants. Oh, oh no. Oh, God.
why why do you have multiple examples too <laughs> i think we can go into the b segment <laughs> yeah for sure for sure for sure oh one more you should john benet ramsey that shit bruh <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> that's the best and worst one just leave it on a park bench at a Santa Barbara Rosé Festival. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. There's a baby in this dumpster. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Listen, Kyle, I was hungry. <laughs> you see, the thing about eating babies is that, oh, my, they're so plump and fattening. It's a minute on the lips and a lifetime on the hips. I'm telling you. How much of the baby eating content gets left in? <laughs> right, for brief number two segment, uh, there was bannings in a format that isn't real and it can't hurt me, but uh, Legacy had some bannings. And I guess that's good. I don't know. Expressive Iteration and White Plume Adventurer are banned in Legacy. And I hear that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I might actually interface with this format a bit. Ooh. I. I'm happy to see White Plume Adventurer go. Yeah. I think that untested commander cards going into this format and changing a bunch of shit around is annoying. And I understand anytime you print a card into a format, there's a risk that that card, especially with non-standard formats, there's a risk that that card negatively Im impacts the play patterns of that given mm -hmm. format. But what was the upside with White Plume Adventurer? I don't know. What was, what's the, yeah, what's the like... upside there? I don't understand. Like... Is there anybody that really liked venturing into the Undercity that much? As far as Expressive Iteration being banned, they had to. Yeah. Because they <laughs> took its um they took they they really powered down the white initiative deck and if they they had to do something else. They had to do something to Delver, pretty much. Yeah. Which it sucks. I like casting Expressive Iteration an awful lot. Now it's expressive iteration has joined just or uh, has joined um just underworld breach in cards that are banned in every format but are legal and modern do you think they have staying power in modern or do we think uh, we'll have the same com conversation one day with those with expressive and breach in in modern okay so expressive iteration is one of those cards that lets you see other cards so it just gets better with age mm -hmm. the more cards that are printed Every single card that's printed has a chance to increase Expressive Iteration's power level. Yep. And the same thing is true with of every card that's yeah. printed that doesn't exile itself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with or shuffle itself back in or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So those cards will continue to increase in power level. There's never a decrease in power level that they're going to see, right? Mm -hmm. So does Iteration eventually get banned? Well, it depends on if... It's like, I'd say it's COLA, like it's cost of living adjustment. Like if it keeps up with inflation, right? <laughs> like as the power level of modern gets higher, mm -hmm. does expressive iteration follow that trajectory? Mm -hmm. Does it kind of fall short of that trajectory and not keep up? At which point, if it does that for long enough, it will become unplayable just by not being able to keep up with power level. Mm -hmm. Or do a bunch of good, like, one mana spells get printed that make it so that, like, it it deviates from 
modern's general upward power level trajectory in a big way at which point it gets banned mm-hmm. i think the same thing is true of breach as well yeah I'd, I'd say it's 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 only a matter of time and i think expressive iteration being banned in legacy it's just there's so many impactful like sacred cows in that format they're not going to ban brainstorm and delver and those things mm-hmm. they're, they're going to get rid of expressive the thing that consistently finds those yeah all right our guessing game segment for today is our least favorite high variance card we've been talking about variance an awful lot today so we want to talk about our least favorite high variance card and for the sake of sanity we're going to keep that with modern pioneer standard Mm -hmm. okay and these are the cards that create a lot of randomness that or create what we feel is an unacceptable or annoying amount of variance that it Mm -hmm. adds to a game so i have got one and like an honorable mention right uh what's your honorable mention and then we'll go into the to the guessing my honorable mention is Aetherworks Marvel. Yeah. And it's, that's, I didn't want to pick it because mm-hmm. it's not really played in anything anymore. But that's but standard, found, yeah. Yeah. I just found that Aetherworks Marvel to be infuriating because it, mm-hmm. it's one of those cards that like you spend so many resources on it. If you treat energy as as like mana spent for that energy, mm-hmm. you played like a puzzle knot or two. Mm-hmm. And then you're four for your Aetherworks Marvel. You spent eight mana and there's a chance it does nothing. Mm-hmm. right or it flips flips an ulamog and you exile two of their things and have an indestructible humongous guy in play mm-hmm. and i'm just like you don't you don't have fetches you don't have brainstorm you don't have things that help you mitigate that variance in a, in a high agency way mm-hmm. so that thing that just kind of annoyed me which is fair but because it's not really played anymore, it felt like it would be yeah. kind of like a, yeah. a, a, it would be a not great thing to pick because like how's anybody gonna come up with that? Yeah. But I do have my actual pick. All right. Let's, and let's I'm gonna go. give you some hints on it. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna give you a hint on it. All right. To start, and that hint is that you won't like this. <laughs> that I've said this thing because this is a card that you happen to like very much. Is it a creature? Nope. Is it a planeswalker? Nope. Okay. Grist is high variance only if you have enough insect creature types in your deck. Okay, I play Haywire Might in my sideboard now, and I can do that. So good. I have flipped Grist a few times when I've plus plus Grist, so it feels good. The games have not mattered, but I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so not a creature, not a planeswalker. Uh, Instant sorcery? Uh, Yes, it's an instant. Instant? It's one of my favorite cards. It's an instant. It's it's a it's one you it's one you like an awful lot. It's also one you've been playing in Pioneer. Is it green? Yeah. It's Coco, isn't it? It is Coco. Oh my god, really? I hate it. <laughs> like playing against it or playing the actual card? Or both? Both. <laughs> both. Both. Like I, I just can't. I can't stand it. I, I think that it just like <laughs> there it, it, it generates so much variance in what it does and i think that there's a big gap between it and storm the festival because storm the festival the floor is realistically mm-hmm. going to be uh like six mana it's going to be a, a six mana sky shroud claim right mm-hmm. where you put some lands into play yeah. which is like below rate for sure but you still like do something be- but it's like yeah. you like the the absolute floor 
is Sky Shroud Claim, which you're overpaying by two mana, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of sucks. And the ceiling is just win the game a lot of the time. Put two oh, yeah. five mana things into play. Put Kiora and Karn into the battlefield. Plus, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> put It can put you just on mana value, what you put in. It mm -hmm. can easily put you plus four, which is nice. Oh, yeah. My issue with Coco in this situation is that the ceiling is six mana worth of creatures, right? Two, three drops getting into play. That mm -hmm. puts you plus two. Your floor is you have spent four mana and done nothing. Yep. And it also, the the big variance thing isn't just resolving the card. It's play patterns ask you to do something that is drastically different from what the rest of your deck wants to do. If you are playing a Coco deck, the rest of your deck that's not named Collected Company wants you to deploy things onto the board, usually during your main phase. Mm -hmm. And then Coco says no don't do the thing you've been doing the whole game do something completely different and in my mind that feels like you are just taking huge chunks of developing your game plan off to do something that could be nothing it could be pretty minimal you could put like two mana dorks into play mm -hmm. or it could be like with your spell in the stack, Coco put a spell queller mm -hmm. and a uh, drug skull captain into play, and you're just like, Ugh. yeah, look at me, I, I did the thing, yeah. But it's always just feels very wide. You're not just spending four mana. You're spending four mana and a turn, usually deviating from your game plan mm -hmm. to do something that is super wide. Um, but yeah, that's Coco. I hate that card. <laughs> it's interesting. Some of your most hated cards are, are green cards that I love. <laughs> yeah. And some of my favorite cards of all, like, I loved old green cards. Like, and they were like just, when, when, back in the day when green cards prevented magic from being played, beautiful. Give me a drop of honey. I was happy with that shit. Oh, man. <laughs> Thermokarst. That's another green card winner for me. Root Maze. Hall of Gemstone. It might be one of my favorite green cards of all time. I don't even know what that one does. Oh, I'm going to read this one for you real quick. Ooh, okay. I feel like all of your favorite green cards are just like prison cards. They are. <laughs> Back when green was a prison color. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Hall of Gemstone is one broccoli broccoli enchant world. Ooh. <laughs> During each player's upkeep, that player chooses a color. At the until end of turn, each mana producing land produces mana of the chosen color instead of its normal color. Oh my god, of course you would love this card. Each mana producing <laughs> land, not land you control. Just every land. <laughs> All right, my turn. I'll name green. Oh, you are holding up this counterspell? Nah. No, son. Broccoli time. <laughs> <laughs> it's broccoli time, bitches. <laughs> All right, what you got for me? All right, I, I too have an honorable mention. It, it's it's one that's just the most high variance in one of the most high variance decks that has seen play from a professional standpoint. Um, Burning Inquiry. That magic card's real dumb. It's a fucking tilter. <laughs> it's so dumb. If it was if it was one sided, cool. But the fact that it's both players, oh my god, <laughs> like. That that one, yeah, that one really gets me. But it was played in a like, it was played in a meme deck that did well at a pro tour. Like, let's be real. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I really want to play Burning Inquiring Goblin Lore in a Narset deck, real bad. Oh my god! <laughs> so just just straight up discard. It's just one man yeah. discard three, right? At that point, 
Oh my god. Well, they draw one. Uh, one. Oh, you turn. get you get yeah, that's true. You get one. But well, only on the first one. If you go like inquiry into inquiry. <laughs> that's so gross. Is it good? Probably not, but it'd be funny. Probably I'd need to have something like waste not. Oh, we've just made a Grixis list. Uh-oh, Anthony. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right, but for for my for my actual one, uh the hints I will give you uh or one I'll start up with one hint. It's a two mana card. It's a two mana creature that you never want to cast. Two mana creature that you never want to cast. I'm going to say, do you want this card to be in the graveyard? Yes. Is it a Narcamoeba? No, but you're close. It's that deck. Uh, oh, is it um, Bloodgast? No, it is a black card. Hmm. It smells. Oh, oh, oh. Two mana? So I think I'm remembering it. Thug? I think uh... Are you thinking of Stinkweed Imp? Yes. Honest... Okay. The Stinky Boy is two and a black. Oh, sorry. It's three. Whatever. Honestly, it's just the whole fucking dredge mechanic. Like, my God. No- nothing upsets me more. Where it's just, even when they're like, oh, I whiffed on the dredge. I'm like, did you? Did you? Like, and honestly, ever since Creeping Chill got printed into that deck, like, nobody plays dredge. But every time I play against dredge, I'm like, just like, oh, yeah, you're going to mill a bunch of stuff. It's going to be great. You're going to do a lot of things. I, I love this. I'm just going to stare at you, and hope, hopefully you figure out what your your deck does. Yeah. I just don't like Dredge. Like, yeah, I, I really don't. It does, it's, <laughs> so much of what it's doing, even though Dredge is, I'd say it's very consistent mm-hmm. and very redundant, right? Yes. Like, a lot of the all the cards basically do the same thing. At the end of the day, it does matter what's in a hidden and randomized zone. That's the thing that makes me the most upset. Yeah. <laughs> it's consistently variant. It's consistent variance, basically. <laughs> oh, man. I uh, <laughs> I had a, a mill opponent when I was playing Living End. Real upset about variance. And I was just like, what variance? What variance? <laughs> this is just an awful matchup for you. <laughs> Your deck literally can't win this game. Everyone, no, just, just can't. There's, there's really, you're like, you're like a two percenter. Like, mm-hmm. I just, like, I kept a hand that was all interaction and cascade spells and said, go. Go, yeah, you're going to do the work for me. <laughs> and then they, like, waited until one turn. They, like, they, they sandbagged. They were playing tight. And then on their end step, I fetched. Mm-hmm. They let me resolve my fetch, which was questionable. And then they went uh, archive trap, archive trap, archive trap, archive trap. Four? Yeah. <laughs> I let them resolve the like I re- let them resolve the first two archive traps because the first one didn't show me any living ends and mm. I was like all right spin the wheel let's go and they resolve the second one no living ends again and I was just like okay I can't do this <laughs> I can't I can't play I can't I can't spin the wheel anymore but they did put a, an endurance into my graveyard so mm-hmm. I uh, violent outbursted put my graveyard they just gave me into play hit the endurance trigger, targeted myself, put some stuff on the bottom. Stop, he's already dead. <laughs> I like I cannot describe to you how my game actions that game were just playlands, resolve my one card combo that won me the game. It's, it's your 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 opponent just did it for you. <laughs> 
let me do like, it for you. <laughs> they they were patient. They waited. They did what they could. Mm-hmm. The only questionable thing was they put all. F- they were like, "I'm gonna archive trap you four times and put four archive traps on the stack." Mm-hmm. And I just like, "Oh boy, okay." Give me a lot of give me a lot of options here. Maybe they weren't playing tight. Yeah, they let me resolve a fetch. They put the archive trap. Yeah, never mind. Never mind. I was giving too much credit. Yeah, and I, I feel like the the only way that they can feasibly win that game is just Tasha's hideous like, like exiling and just surgical. Yeah, their Tasha's still suck though, right? Because they're ta- like I have. Oh, seven every, yeah, every, everything's just so giant. Yeah, that is it's it's literally just surgical and living end, and even then it's just like super tough. But yeah, I, I, yeah they have to mill a living end and surgical it. And you know, I think your opponent complaining about variance just needs to realize that. You gotta think about the matchup. That's just that's yeah. literally just like a like a ninety ten matchup or even worse. Like yeah. <laughs> Signing off from Lexington, I'm Kyle. I'm Anthony. And until next week, do us a favor. Stay trashy, my friends. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like and subscribe. It helps us out a ton and makes it easier for other players like you to hear what we have to say. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Stitcher, Spotify, Peanut.fm, and iHeartRadio. One of those was not real, but we'll never tell. It was Peanut, wasn't it? Oh, shut the fuck up.